Bitch, please. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to episode 11 of Bitch, Please. Today, we have a really exciting guest for you, Molly Guy of Stone Fox Bride. Molly founded Stone Fox a few years ago. It's basically, if, for those of you who don't know, it's it was an alternative wedding dress shop. So they kind of offered a lot of cool bohemian dresses. And she kind of had this very ethereal um, wedding vibe. And my sister um, and I went into her store back in like 2013 when my sister was looking for a wedding dress. And from then on, I was just kind of always following Molly um, and her business journey and also as she's become this very honest force on social media um she's still doing stone fox but it's in a transition to something else which she'll briefly talk about during this podcast i also ran into her on the street a couple years back and she started talking to her and telling her how much i goes, oh i'm jillian you remember me and she was like yeah of course i remember everybody i ever meet like that's something that means a lot to me to like remember everyone's name and I was like, that's pretty cool. And I like walked around with her and her daughter and um, she's just very real and open. And this conversation that we had with her last week hit a lot of cool topics. We got deep, <laughs> everything from uh, depression to your 20s, your 30s, divorce, uh, self-image, writing. I mean, it really ran the gamut. So I'm really excited about putting this out there for you guys. In terms of being honest, she really is everything that we're kind of striving for with this podcast of like cutting through the bullshit and just putting it out there. And yeah, we hope you guys enjoy it. So she is the founder. She's most widely known as the founder of Stone Fox Bride, which began as a wedding dress shop for women who were looking for an alternative wedding dress or a wedding planning experience. So more bohemian and relaxed and less stereotypically feminine and frilly. She's also the contributing editor at Vogue. She is an executive weddings editor at Domino and a very candid presence on social media. And um, I guess for our listeners who don't really know that much about you, Molly, as much as I know about you, um, let's talk a little bit about your starting Stonebox, where you were in your life. I know you were at a low career point and a high romantic point, and so those kind of opposing forces. That's funny, because I'm sort of at the opposite. I know, yeah. but we'll, we'll, we'll take it full circle. Okay. So when I started Stonebox Bride, I was in a job that I had hate. I really hated. I remember my dad at the time was like, this job is so great, you have benefits, and and you have a good salary, and you have your own office, even though the office didn't have a window. And to all, um, like, up to the, like the, to all for the sake of appearances, the job was really good. I was a copywriter at a cosmetics firm. It was supposed to be what I had worked my whole life to do, but I was so unhappy because the job was really not at all creative, and I was really bad at it. And like batted it, like I kept getting called into HR and getting reprimanded and putting getting put on probation. And my boss kept yelling at me. Do you want to know what's really funny about this? Is um, the cosmetics company years later like hired me as like an influencer and gave me a lot of money to do like a video campaign for them. 
And the creative director, who was my boss, who like kept reprimanding me and yelling at me, said like, do I know you? It was like the dream you have. Like it was like a Jennifer Garner movie where like, it was like, yeah, you used to yell at me when like I was in the windowless office and you hated the work I was doing. Um, But I really hated the job. And everyone, including my boyfriend was like, why do you hate this job? Like, this is awesome. And I just couldn't explain why I hated it. Um, I was also, I was trying to write this novel that I actually had had a book deal. I was supposed to deliver a novel to a publisher. Um, I was doing edits on it and I just was so uninspired. And I think my creative tolerance is very low. Like I'm a person that I didn't really know this at the time, but I don't, um, I need to be like really engaged in creative work or I feel depressed. And um, I wasn't, the job was so like, I literally didn't, there was like no fluorescent, there was only fluorescent light. And um, it was just really, it was just a corporate job. And I just didn't understand why so many people that I was working around seemed to thrive and I didn't. And I felt like something was wrong with me. And didn't really have anyone reflecting back to me that um, there's some people in the world that like corporate the corporate environment and some people that don't and apparently I'm not one of those people so after like really getting in trouble a lot with HR and with my boss they finally said like we got to put you on probation my uh, boyfriend at the time was also the exact when he was the editor of departures magazine for United Airlines so we kept going on these like great trips and I was taking too much time off from work So we got engaged and um, I just did something stupid, which I quit my job and I said that I was going to do free, I was going to do freelance, I did freelance consulting for them and I took on freelance writing jobs and I went to India and, um, which sounds exciting, but it was sort of reckless and I was applying for other jobs and I have like, I could pull out my emails for them. I literally kept sending emails to people saying like, hi, this is Molly Rosen. 105 years ago, I used to be the beauty editor at Nylon Magazine. Can I write for Vogue.com? Can I write for Style.com? Can I write for Pure Wow? Can I write for, I mean, on and on and on. No one would get back to me. And I got married and after that, I had just decided, you know what, no more writing. I dissolved my book deal that's when I had this idea. I had this tiny, tiny, tiny idea, like where was this cool store? Where was the cool wedding store? And then I thought, you know what, maybe it's time to really just forget about this writing idea. And I raised some funds to start Stonebox the store. So when you had that first job that you were unhappy at, which I can very much relate to, I've had one like just to be clear, what was the first job? I mean, I had How been in New York. For, really? I was 32, so I had been working. Oh, okay. That was my question. How old were you? Okay, so it wasn't like your first job, like you had done it. My job in New York was at my first paying job in New York was at YM Magazine, and then I went to Nylon Magazine, and then I went to graduate school. So this was what had happened. The reason I ended up in that job is because I had been on a really good publishing track, and then I left to go to grad school. By the time I came out, I couldn't get a job. It was that's why. Well, everything went digital, right? The world had changed. Everything went digital, and I couldn't get a job because I took this hiatus to go to grad school. Got so it's probably even more stressful in terms of, like, I've worked all this time to get to this place, and now I hate it. And what was all that time for? Yeah. Wait, was grad school worth it? You got, what, your MFA? And- I got my MFA in creative writing. It's worth it now because... I, I'm a professional writer now, but it's not worth. It was not worth it then because what happened is I was on a really good track. I had, I, I was like 
you know, the early 2000s, and I was really killing it in my magazine writing career at Nylon and YM, and I was freelancing at Maxim, and I was, I mean, I had great magazine clips at Jane. No one cares about that stuff now. But um, I shut it down because I wanted to go back and do creative writing, which is what I had done at college. And I figured, great, I'll come out, and then I'll have a book out, and then I can write cover story. Like, I had this whole plan in my head, and that didn't happen. And that's why I couldn't get hired, and I went, ended up on this other path. So what were you saying, Hannah? Yeah, so I was saying that, well, it's interesting that it was such a, like, you were 32 at that time, because... I can imagine it's even harder. Like you've been out of college for 10 years technically, right? So it's like you're working for 10 years towards this job and then you hate it. And then you probably feel even more lost and even more confused because you're like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do next. Yeah, and just to be clear, I was really like, I was sort of having a nervous breakdown. So I don't know if you guys know like Mud, Mud Cafe. There was like, I, I mean, I had started to see like, I, I moved to New York when I was 22. And I had, I started to see people like 10 years had gone by, like friend, I saw like small business owners who were pregnant when I moved to New York, had like kids that were in fifth grade or had like their businesses were now being franchised. I mean, I really was like, I was walking around feeling like, oh my God, like I fucking just wasted 10 years of my life has just gone by and I had nothing to show for it. I mean, I was in a fugue state. I felt like I did have, you know, I, I had fallen in love. And that felt good. And I thought sort of like the only currency I had was that I was planning a wedding that I liked. And like that, and like, I guess that was that the only thing that I could do was create a business out of that. Interesting to me that you fell in love when you were at such a shitty point in your life because you were still open to, I suppose, romance and connection, even though you were sort of in this bout of self-pity and self-hatred. You know, it's funny. So right before I fell in love on my 32nd birthday, I was with Jill Soloway. And um, we were at a retreat for these Jewish people who work in the media in Austin. And she had just had her second baby. And I said to her, it was my 32nd birthday, literally. And I was like, Jill, I'm so depressed. And I know where I should go to meet my future husband. I was, and I was kidding. And I said, should I go bird watching? I'm like, am I going to meet this guy bird watching in Central Park? And she was like, if you like bird watching, you should go bird watching. Like, go be your true self. And like, that love will follow. Anyway, my point is like you never, I mean, yes, I did meet him in that deep, in the depths of my deepest depression. And it's very possible that, yes, yeah, so like, it's just, it's, it's a very, falling in love is very messy. And I was depressed. And I think on some level, I fell in love with him because he, I thought he professionally had sort of had it all figured out. And the tables kind of turned at some point. But like, tables keep turning because when I met Jill Soloway, she was, cisgendered and she was married to my friend Bruce and she had this baby and she was at the top of her writing career in LA and I thought she had it all as this uh I don't know this in this heteronormative career writing career in Hollywood and like you know nothing ever makes sense it's like it's a fluid story was this before she made her like short so Jill Soloway created uh Transparent the TV show um was this before she had done all like it was just when she was a TV writer TV right writer. before she, she had this book essays about being a tv writer and we were both from chicago and she was she was the head writer on this tv show with about tony collette she was just this awesome jewish tv writer in la there was no transparent in sight yeah well jill soloway is actually really interesting too because I, this is just from what i've read but you know she, she got to a point in her tv writing career where no one would hire her anymore and she was like down and out and she had to borrow money from her agent just to make a short film 
what you know, which led to something else, which led to something else, which led to transparent. But I kind of am. I didn't know that that's what that's how transparent got made. I always thought she was a because like when I was thirty two, um, Jill Soloway was the golden like. Cause, uh, so this is like another interesting story. When I was thirty two, I had a couple of friends. I'm not going to name their names offline. We can do it when this is <laughs> over, but you guys will know who they are. Um, they couldn't get employed either. They were, and, and they, we had suddenly heard like word on the streets was they had gotten poached by this girl that had done this indie film to move to LA to start writing for this HBO series, which then turned into girls. And the whole trail of our, we all wanted to be mm-hmm. like Jill Soloway at that point. Cause we thought she was so cool. She was this like badass, authentic Jewish writer. And now my friends, went on to be very successful TV writers, and we were all sort of following the trajectory of Jill Soloway. But I never knew that she could, at some point, couldn't get a job. Yeah, so apparently, like, there was, you know, she became known as very difficult in this industry, which is very, you know, now is the time when everyone's talking about that. But at the time, she was called difficult. No one wanted to hire her. She couldn't get a job. She really had no money. So yeah, she had to borrow some money from her agent to make a short film, and then that film did well. And so then from there, she made a feature film, and then that did well. And then from there, she got transparent. But yeah, it's and I, I just find these times in our in your life when you're kind of down and out and have to like come back out of that and like figure out maybe who you are now. I just find those so compelling, and it, it probably makes you stronger. Well, I also feel like you had to develop, like, just to start Stone Fox, and, and as someone, Hannah and I both deal with depression, when you're really in the depths of it, how do you sort of, how did you find and ignite that inner fire that you were like, fuck this, like, I'm going to start this business, and I don't care if no one believes it. You know it. what's really powerful, you guys? Having to make money. So I had a little bit of money. I had an, I've never talked about this, but I had inherited a little bit of money in my late 20s, and that is how I put myself through graduate school. And for a couple of years, I was psyched because I went to graduate school and I was putting my, you know, I was doing therapy and grad school. And my plan was I had enough money to go to grad school. And I thought when I came out of grad school, I was going to sell my book. And then I was going to get really famous. And I swear to God, I thought I was going to, like, this was when I graduated from college, Dave Eggers and Jonathan Safran Foer and Zadie Smith, this is a long time ago, they got million dollar book deals. So in my insanity, I thought I'll get a million dollar book deal. And like, what's funny to me now is I know how literally how million dollar book deal plays out is you get $250,000 when you sell it and then 250 when you deliver it and then 250 a year later and a year later and after taxes and when you have kids, it's actually not that much, right? But like at the time I was like, I will get one, one million dollars, literally. <laughs> So um, I was like, and then I'll be rich. That didn't happen. So what happened is I just have to fucking make money. So when you have to make money, it doesn't really matter if you're, dep- it's, you, that's what happened. Is I was like, I, I either I'm going to have to make a salary at my cosmetics writing job or get another corporate job or do something. So when you have to make a paycheck, whether or not you're depressed. I mean, I was, I was actually very very depressed and I was a little bit, had some suicidal, I whatever all that stuff was, but it was either, you know, shit or get off the pot. So that's what happened is, um, I, you know, that's what I did is I knew I had to make a certain amount of money. And that has always kind of led me for the past, you know, that was 10 years ago as I've always just known I have to make a certain amount of money this year and this is how I'm going to do it. And that's, it's a very powerful, I mean, I was talking to a friend recently who's depressed and I just said, 
go to make a paycheck, you know, go pour coffee or go, you know, whatever you have to do. But if you get to kind of get out of your mm-hmm. head, I mean, it's, I know it's easier said than done and it's annoying advice because at some point you're so depressed that you can't get out of your head and it becomes a self, you know, then you're in a cycle. Like, why can't I get out of my head? Why can't I get out of bed? But I think there is like a fine line in the depression where if you still are able to show up for something, it's a powerful motivating factor. Absolutely. Let's get into present day a bit. So Molly has been very open um, on social media about the past, I guess, two years of your life, um, dealing with a ton of heartbreak. One of those instances being the dissolution of her marriage and a divorce that she went through. So standing for love and having this brand that looked so beautiful and fanciful and just like this free people dream and then sort of deciding, hey, I'm going to be honest with the world about what's going on with my life. Were you at this point like, holy shit, is everyone going to think I'm a fraud or like how, how did that play out in your mind? And then you kind of just committed to being very honest about what's going on. Well, I was lucky because I didn't have a boss and I had no one telling me what I could and couldn't say. So I've always just thought until that day comes, I will fully take advantage of it. And um, I couldn't do it. So the marriage fell apart a year and a half ago and I couldn't say anything. I had to ask my book publisher when I could say something and they said, you know, you can't say until X date because you have a book coming out. We didn't want it. I didn't want to turn my book sales and I didn't want it to hurt. So I couldn't, you know, I was working as a weddings editor at a magazine and there were certain partnerships I didn't want it to hurt. So I was strategic and not saying anything for a while. And um, did I think it was going to make it so that I was a fraud? Yeah. I did. But there's that line I always come back to from that Bob Dylan song, when you ain't got nothing, you've got nothing to lose. And so it's not like the business, at some point last spring, my dad had died and I was going through the divorce and I had stopped. I wasn't selling the wedding dresses anymore and I wasn't selling the rings. I wasn't doing much of anything. I was really just in grief. I was doing just very small, odd jobs. And so there was not really much to lose. And that's when, I mean, I was literally had an Instagram account devoted to these just daily letters to my dad. So that's when I did it. You know, that people say you shouldn't enter a negotiation unless you're willing to walk away. It's like right now I'm trying to, because the L train is shutting down and I'm trying to figure out whether or not I'm going to look for a different apartment because they're not lowering my rent. But it was sort of that same thing. Like I didn't, um, it's really annoying. Yeah. I didn't, um, I wasn't going to say anything until I knew that I, if the business tanked because of it, that I would be okay with it. But, and it's funny because on Mother's Day, I just decided to say something and it turned out to be, there was two most liked posts. One was the day that, um, on, on Christmas day, I put a picture up. So when my dad was sick, he didn't want me to ever say anything to anyone. So on Christmas day, I put a picture of myself like in a mask and the holidays. And I just took, and I said like, just want to thank all the nurses who are working on Christmas day. I'm in the hospital with someone who's sick and, you know, like sending a lot of gratitude to the nurses because it was amazing to see them working on Christmas day. And that post got 10,000 likes and all of these comments, which I wasn't expecting. And then on mother's day, again, I said, I made a reservation for three tonight and I'm going through a divorce and it's really crazy. And again, that was the most liked post. So then it's the interesting thing about social media is you get that instant feedback, and I was like, All I, love right, that. I, I guess I could kind of run with it. Yeah, I was gonna say, I really love how open and honest you're being on social media, kind of about all of the things you're 
going through and dealing with and I'm a big proponent of that and I just think it's so important because I think sometimes social media can be so fake and so unhealthy. Um, thank you. I actually don't. I think like in my mind there's like a, you know, the grass is always greener. So I think like the cool woman, like I have this vision of, again, we can set, I'm happy to say her name offline, but like the cool chic French woman with messy hair like doesn't disclose anything about herself so my friends are like you're not going to find a boyfriend now like this you are like a, basically a grieving dick repellent of a widow like with your like your guts are splayed across the page like no you know I think this is not the coolest thing to be doing that I like to say everything that I'm feeling all the time I certainly don't think it's like chic or cool but um it's just how I'm wired it's cool in its own way. Though. I mean, I think women like you guys think it's cool. Right. I, I'm sure there are, not that anyone is talking about it, but if they did, there's probably a certain people that are like, oh my God, what a fucking nutbag. Yeah. Well, it takes away this element of mystery, right? And mystery <laughs> is what tends to make people seem cool. Yes. But I think that there's this other thing going on where it's almost like, I don't want to say punk rock, but there's a rebellion in not being so filtered and fake and being honest in a space where a lot of people are meant are made to feel really shitty about their lives because of the whole highlight reel scenario. Thanks. I will say there's plenty of things I don't talk about. I'm sure. <laughs> I feel like the last generation is very new or the concept of just being so open and putting your whole life out in this public place is very weird to people who didn't really grow up with it. But I think people like our age and under, it's because we're so used to it. I think younger people are just getting so sick of the of the fakeness, of the filters, of the pretending like everything's perfect. And we're all, at least I'm personally, really drawn to the honesty, really drawn to the people who are, because we're, I mean, you know what I mean? We're all struggling and, fit, you know, and I'm drawn to the people who are like being, just calling it out. And I think that's kind of why we were motivated to start the podcast. I think um, Lena Dunham, I was never a huge fan of girls, but I love her writing and mm -hmm. she's always been an inspiration to me in terms of like, I think her vulnerability is incredible. I think, I mean, I would love to think my earlier books were such failures and I think it's because um, I was never willing, like she really would, she was, she is always willing to make herself look like the fool mm -hmm. and, you know, vulnerable and overweight and uncomfortable and just, and messy. I mean, really not fake messy. And it is so hard and it's so cool. So I'm really, I, I think that she is really one of the first, I mean, she might be the first woman of our generation, you know, your generation right. to do it. But I'm always, I'm completely struck by that. I could never do that. I mean, could you guys take off your clothes and like walk through the streets? I mean, I mean like, honestly, after a bout of criticism and looking, going to work out three times before I would do it. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to get there, but being Lena size and being okay with it. I mean, it's, I mean, and the fact that I'm even saying that is sad, but it's true. Right. Like the thing that I find interesting is like out of everything that she's done, all the stuff she put in her book, all the messiness, like we're talking about the fact that she's brave because she's like a little overweight and naked. That word brave. But you know what? I, it's, but that's it. Because I would say any of the shit she's saying, but I will not take my clothes off and walk down the street st still to this day. And I think that's a whole other, it's a whole other layer of, 
I don't want to say courage is so demeaning. It's not self-acceptance. It's something else. And it's fucking raw. And it's so punk rock that she can do it. Oh, I agree. I agree. I just think the fact that, you know, the pressure that's put on women to look a certain way is so strong that when someone you know, really rebels against that, how compelling that is. Like, you know, everything else that she's said and done, it's like this one thing, just her body, showing her body is like the biggest act. And I love that. But I just want to be clear. I also really admire how in her writing and in her shows that she just fucking gets in there and admits that she is a mess and she looks like a mess and she feels like a mess and she's in pain and she's like it's and and it's unfolding as she's writing about it which is rare it's like you know I always think about what Kate Spade was going through and why sometimes people say to me like well you're taking the easy way out because you always talk about what a mess you were in your 20s and you're not a mess now and so like you know a couple weeks ago I posted that I was like in a depression while I was in a depression you know because I think when, like, Lena Dunham is talking about how she's in pain when she is in pain is actually the admirable thing to do. Everyone could always talk about it looking back because you feel like you're in an okay place enough now, also where you won't be judged to the degree. It's like, oh, that was in my past. But to share what you're going through at the moment takes balls. Yeah, no one was talking about that stuff when I was younger. No one was talking about depression. No one was talking about anxiety. There was not even a word for it. I mean, it's so... It's, you know, anxiety and depression and medication and antidepressants is a part of our daily dialogue, which I think is awesome. It was just a feeling when I was growing up. Yeah, I struggled with depression a lot when I was in high school, and it was the same thing. Depression wasn't a term. I didn't know depression was a thing. I just thought I was, you know, seriously flawed and broken. And now I try to be extra open about it because... I just felt so alone growing up. And I recently posted a photo, like I just went back on meds. I don't think I told you that, Jillian. Uh, and my mom like yelled at me for posting a photo of my Zoloft bottle. Um, but to me, it's like, that's what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to get rid of the stigma. I'm trying to be open about it. So like other little girls who are in high school who are like crying in the bathroom don't have to feel like they're like broken and alone, you know, and alone. And again, I think that goes back to why I'm such a fan of what you're doing now is because it helps people realize like it's okay to feel all of these things. The divorce thing, I'm trying to... Um my divorce is so messy. I mean, it's not messy on paper, but it's the feelings about it are messy. And the only model, like, I do think the conscious uncoupling is interesting. It's an interest. I mean, I had never, this idea of getting a divorce and having it be amicable and staying friend, you know, because I had only known that dynasty model. Do you guys know what, like, dynasty or Dallas, that soap opera model, like the 1980s model where everyone's throwing plates and screaming. It doesn't have to be that way. And then I do think that conscious uncoupling was interesting. I'd never heard about it. It didn't apply to me because there was a lot of rancor, rancor on my part. But um, I'm, I'm interested. I, it, I'm, it would have been helpful when I was in the early stages of it to know that it's just, it's not black and white. You know, it doesn't have to be all anger. It doesn't have to be conscious uncoupling. I'm like, Gwyneth, you can't tell me. Like, what the, first of all, A, what the fuck happened? Who was cheating on who? Or, like, one day you guys were just, like, you know, were you just not having sex? Like, it just, you didn't, you couldn't just have peacefully parted ways. Like, because there's kids involved, I can't talk about what happened out of fairness to my children. But it is, um, I do think it's helpful to 
talk about the fact that you're angry and you're sad and you're mad and you're loving and you're angry and you're hateful and, you know, it's not one or the other. How did your ex feel about you posting on social media? Well, I say to him, um, you know, I'm going to post today. Do you want to sign off on it? And for God bless him, he's always like, no, just, it's okay. He's always been that way. I don't know That's why. That's the least of your problems. God right? bless him. You know, my right. family, my mom too, my mom, my sister, my brother-in-law, my brother, they're always like, do what you want. It's a real blessing in my family. I do have a question, which is a little, still on topic, but considering you got married in your 30s, and I, I've read something that you wrote sort of about how there's two types of women in the world. Or the A's and the, the B's. Yeah, the A's and the B's. So usually that's delegated to like the 20s and the 30s of who finds um, self-acceptance and love and all of those things. So were you ever scared you weren't going to find your husband? Like you were... You guys, you kind of already spoke about that. but Well, it's funny because, you know, as you guys know, I'm writing this article about millennials who get married because they feel pressure to, like, get, you know. Um, get it done. <laughs> yeah, well, because, like, they want to get the kids or yeah. they've got to get an apartment. I was under a lot of pressure. It's Looking back on it now, I'm like, wow, I was under a lot of pressure. I was feeling the pressure when I was young because I was 31 when I was, like, having that conversation with Jill Soloway. But I really wanted to have kids. Yeah. And I think I was even back then starting to think about, do I have to freeze my eggs? And I really wanted to be a mom much more than I wanted to be a wife. And um, so I was willing to overlook a lot of the issues that I saw that would have arisen because I was on a time frame to get those kids in. That's the expression. Real pressure. Yeah, no, it's so real. And I was aware we were having real problems in our marriage um, before the second my second daughter was born, but again, I was like, let's just, we got to, I was like, let's, I, even if we're not together by the time she's born, I want to be, I have to get my kids out of the way. And I was ashamed of that for a long time. And it's funny that the more I talk about it, the more a lot of my friends are like, oh, yeah, it's like, it's much more important for us to have the kids than it is to have the marriage. Yeah. I really was like, I, I knew I wanted to have kids with, with Mike. And I knew he was going to be a great dad, and I never regret that decision, ever. It was much more about that for me. I agree with that. I mean, I definitely want to have kids, and I feel like that's the more the, the pressure on me as opposed to, like, finding a guy. Like, if kids weren't a thing or a biological clock wasn't a thing, I, like, I don't even think I'd even – I don't know. I really don't need to get married, but I definitely relate to that in the sense that it's the kids that I want, and you only have so much time. To make that happen. You will find somebody, but then there's like that biological part. It's like, wow, okay, I'm 28. So that means I have X amount of years and planning a timeline that will probably, you know. In marriage, it's really weird, you know, after working in the industry to see that we're still doing the white dress and the flowers and the cake and the aisle and, for, you know, all of it when really this whole idea of marriage is, you know, it's hundreds and hundreds of years old and it's rooted in the idea of, you know, the families coming together and, you know, the husband really owning the wife for like financial purposes. So, I mean, I can see why if I fell in love again, I would probably get married again, maybe even for my kids' sake, but... There is no God. There is no. There is no godly reason why any of us would need to get married and get the dress and do that fucking stuff. But yet, we still do. 
Well, since we're like little girls, that's what we're taught. I mean, that's our that's our idea of love. That's the idea of, of quote unquote making it or part of it is like having the wedding. But then like, I don't know, I've attended a bunch of weddings this year and sometimes I cringe a little bit when it feels so classically wedding-like. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I also was attracted to Stone Fox Bride because I was like, at least there are like cool girls getting married who didn't like fell about their dress since they were five years old. Like they wanted to plan like a chiller engagement. So, you know. I know, but now that chill wedding is the mainstream wedding. It has sort of melded into the same thing. But what are you going to do? Like not have weddings? Like what are you trying to say? Well, I would say, you know, if we were to get married again, what I would do is I would say... If we are to get, and if we end up getting divorced, or if we end up in with in other partnerships, or end up being unfaithful, we vow to untangle our marriage gracefully so that it's in the best interest of the family as a whole. And now, actually, my ex and I are talking about doing some sort of unmarriage ceremony for our kids. Wow. That's like some sort of party, or in like rewriting our ketubah. Because honestly, fuck everyone that says the divorce has to be like mean and scary. For my children, I don't, and I even like my, the, I, I asked my kid's teacher last year, can we read Dinosaurs Divorce to the class? And she was like, no, I think that'd be too upsetting for the kids. It's like, why can't my, it's not, you know, they get two homes now. My husband and I are still friends, or my ex and I are friends, and it can be, it's okay. It's just a transition for them. So um, I do think that's a little bit more radical in marriage ceremonies that they talked about. And if forever is not forever, let's talk about what this would look like. So it's not plates breaking and it's not rancor and it's not anger. It's just another new beginning. I know a few a few of my friends' parents, so I guess they're older, but a few of my friends' parents have been in relationships for like 10 to 15 years, you know, different for each one. Um, but none, they're not married. They're just like choosing to be together. And I think there's something so romantic of not having that marriage and that like, you know, binded by law and just actually choosing to be together. And yet, like, despite all of that, I still feel like I'm probably going to get married. And it's interesting. Is it like, is it just because it's what we're taught? Is it is it something about like human nature? Like, I don't think it's human nature. I think it has to do with what you were saying. It's like back in the day, the woman needed to be like taken by a man's family. So they would pay for her and like own her almost, I guess. So are you dating? Um, well, as we had talked about, I did. I haven't dated yet, and it's not been two. I mean, I don't like to say. I don't even know why I'm saying this, but um, I, I think I got side. I got sidetracked because my dad died, and um, grieving and dating don't really go hand in hand. I mean, maybe they do for some people. But um, I joined some dating websites recently. I joined Raya, which is funny because it's so filled with celebrities. It was like looking at a car crash and. Um, like these huge big name celebrities. The only one that I got really obsessed with, I'll tell you guys again, offline. But, um, <laughs> I, no, I haven't yet. I guess I have to, but as you know, I, you know, I'm in an all woman's co-working space and I right. have two daughters and my life is not really conducive to that stuff, but it, I've got to start soon. Ryan's not probably the best place to find love. I will say that. But if you're looking, you could probably find it there. There's also a lot of like weird DJs and like... Anytime I see DJ, I'm like, nope. I'm on Raya, but 
I've never actually met up with anyone from Raya. They all just look too pretty for me. I don't know. Funny, that music video you had to do, what was your song to? Um, now my song is some like Nina Simone song, but for a while I only had one song on my computer, on my phone, and I didn't, it wouldn't let me choose other ones. So for a while it was Bitch by Meredith Brooks, <laughs> which I kind of was like into. <laughs> So, what's your song? It was Althea. It was a Grateful Dead song. I mean, I liked my video. I was really, I really Yeah, I think that's like video. the best part about it. I'm interested to see like what song they chose. I mean, I saw like, so many new. I couldn't. I stopped, kept texting my friends like, oh, I saw your ex on it, and then like Ryan Felipe. I mean, I was gonna get in trouble because I got I like screenshot Ryan Felipe, yeah, Josh Jackson, John Mayer. You can't <laughs> warning when you screenshot someone. Because uh-huh. I, the first time I joined, I screenshotted John Mayer to like send to my friends, and then. Um, I was like, oh, shit, I cannot do this. Yeah, you get in trouble. Yeah. I know I wanted to screenshot something yesterday, actually, but I held off. But someone messaged me and said, hey, not ready for this ex- to expire. Because it expires if you don't mess it. It's- so he said, hey, not ready for this to expire, but not sure what I want to say yet. So dot, 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 hey for now. And I was like, what? <laughs> Wait, who was it? Some guy. No one, like, famous. No one fun. But I was just like, that's such a funny thing to say to someone. Like, I'm not ready to say anything to you yet, but I don't want this to expire. So, okay. So someone did message me, and I was psyched. Because, you know, you, like, use your message. I'll sh- you know you can, like, use a message, right? The direct message. The direct message yeah. me. So I was excited. Yeah. He's cute. I know him. And he wrote, hey, Molly. And I wrote, hey. No. So he direct messaged me. So then I wrote him back. Okay. And so then he wrote, hey, we have a friend in common. And I wrote my, the friend's name. And then he wrote, yep. And that's when I deleted the app because he's a 50-year-old man. And I just was like, from yep, like I can't. Like, no. Right? Yeah, no, totally. I was waiting, like, I'm like, I was waiting for like, may I take you to dinner yeah. on this day and this. I don't well, know. Well, that's what I find in Mariah's. A lot of people aren't taking dating series. Okay, fine. I'll tell you who I saw in Mariah that I got obsessed with and now I can't stop dreaming about him. <laughs> Sheriff Hopper oh. from Stranger Things. Have you seen him? <gasps> That's who he was? I didn't know what you were talking about before. Oh God, he's so cute. I don't know who you're talking about. No, I didn't watch it. I don't like sci-fi. Oh my God, he's so attractive. He's like portly and like... Wait, what's his name? Sheriff Hopper. He's <laughs> he is. He's like hot in like a dirty way. Right. See, that's my problem. I love like a dirty, portly, endomorphic actor. Hannah, do you see? I saw Ben Affleck on Raya, and then I started having all these, like, daydreams about how I'm going to, like, you know, fix him after his divorce and, like, make him all better. <laughs> I wonder how him and Jen Garner are. Like, she seems to, like, save him well, every I first time. Well, I she's dating someone new. No, he's not with the SNL lady anymore, I don't think. No, she is. She's dating someone new. I can't oh, Jen. She is. Their divorce was finalized, and now she's dating someone. And he's cute. I'm, like, jealous. And I'm, like, I don't know why I think I would be able to date him, so... <sighs> Just the idea of like a non-drunk mess Ben Affleck that is sexy, but not who he is now. I'm actually a really big fan of his like filmmaking, which I know sounds like really pretentious, but I am. And so it's like, I don't know. I would love to like go on a date with Ben Affleck. My ex looks exactly like Matt Damon. I mean, could you die from his like Brett Kavanaugh? It was amazing. I never really was into Matt Damon until I Nothing saw was better. Yeah. that impression. I was like, wow. No, he's, but Matt Damon's amazing. And then if you go back and watch the Kavanaugh thing after, it's like that much funnier just because Matt Damon got it so spot on. Are you sober? Um, no comment. Okay. I'm not a huge drinker. Okay. Just curious. So I guess I have a question. So, you know, it's like you start this bridal brand, right? It's like you have this idea of love and of marriage and you're I assume telling you know you're in one place and then 
you know, your marriage um, doesn't work out the way you thought it would. Um, and, you know, once you went through the divorce, did you have to, like, have a, a moment in time where you had to reframe the way you saw yourself and the way you saw what you, like, wanted out of life? Like, did that take a big adjustment? Well, I think it's funny we're talking about this, like, in the past. A, I'm not divorced yet. And B, like, you mean, did I, like, did I think I was married and now I'm not married and I have to reframe? Or just, like, how you saw your life going, what you wanted, what you think is important out of life? I don't think, I think life is a constant unfolding and a constant redefining. I mean, I feel like, a, you know, like a white woman of privilege sitting in a, folding chair at Esalen and a purple shawl probably says that, you know, 10 times a day, but life is a constant unfolding and re-examining and redefining. So sure, right now I thought I was going to be, you know, married and there was like a, or something really nice about having, being married and, and feeling safe and secure in that. And I don't have that now, but the truth is I'm, I don't, I'm happier now that we're actually not together. I didn't think my dad was going to be dead either. I didn't think, I thought I was going to be running this wedding dress company. I thought, you know, I'd be franchising Stone Fox Bride and my, I would still be designing. I mean, I, who knows? I thought, you know, I thought I'd be the great, a great American novelist. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. So I actually feel like the one thing I do feel is happy and grateful. I'm like happy to have my health and I'm grateful to be alive. And I used to be like a pretty cynical, like bitchy pessimistic person but um like that's true I mean I don't know what the tomorrow is gonna hold but I've had a lot of friends like get sick and die and get cancer and lose their health or lose their kids or lose their homes in a fire and um I'm mostly just happy that I still have like my creativity and my family and like a really nice home and really good friends and like really good coffee. And I know that sounds cheesy, but it's really true. The more important things. Yeah. What's gonna happen to Stone Fox? Are you still doing it? Are you changing it? Are you? So we are um, in the process of redoing a whole new exciting thing that I can't wait to relaunch and share when it's time. But it's not wedding focused, because that would be But weird. it's gonna keep, you're gonna keep the same name. We, that, no, <laughs> we're not. Okay. We're riding the highway of life, is all I'm going to say. Okay. Well, thank you, Molly. Love that. Yeah, thanks so much. And I'm excited to see what happens next. For everyone out there who's not familiar with Molly, I'm a really big fan of your writing, like just some of the stuff you've written for online publications and magazines. And I definitely recommend everyone out there go check out some of her stuff because, I don't know, it really inspired me. when I, I hadn't read it a lot of it before, but I, you know, was reading it before the podcast, and I'm a really big fan. <laughs> I was like, go read Molly now. And follow her if you care to see an honest presence on Instagram, at Molly Guy. Yes, thank you. Thanks, ladies. Bye. All right, well, we hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, we definitely covered a lot of topics, and... We hope it informed you in some way and maybe made you feel less alone in this crazy world. So thank you for listening. We will see you next week.